We dream. We prepare. We work hard to create meaningful moments in our lives. Yet despite all our planning, sometimes the unexpected happens and everything falls apart. We're confused. We're disappointed. And we don't know what to do next. But if we listen closely, we might hear God whispering through all the noise, don't be afraid. I have something better for you. But we'll never really know unless we're open to a change of plans. Good to see you guys. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors. I have never seen a Christmas nativity scene that included Herod and the innkeeper. I walked around my house. I got four nativity scenes. My favorite one is the one we got in Bethlehem last year when we were in Israel. But I have surveyed nativity scenes across the country in store windows, in my house, and I have never seen a single nativity scene that included Herod or the innkeeper. And I think I know why. I think it's because we don't like to welcome villains into our sacred spaces. There's just something about a villain that just kind of turns our heart in the wrong direction. The only people that celebrate villains, I think, are weird. You know, they grew up, remember Sid from Toy Story? The little guy that blew up the little green army man? Yeah, if you like villains, that's who you are. And there's just something about the fact that we just don't like villains in those very, very precious spaces. We're going to talk about one of the villains of the Christmas story. We're going to leave the innkeeper alone. I think the innkeeper gets a bad rap. I think he gets a bad rap. I don't think it's his fault. Joseph and Mary should have used Priceline. That's the bottom line, okay? Mary gets a pass. She's pregnant, all right? But Joseph, you should have been working ahead, bro. Like, I mean, just look at the calendar, figure out where you're supposed to go, and go get yourself a room. I have a little bit of grace for the innkeeper. He gets a bad rap. Nowhere in scripture does, he say, does it say that he stood at the door and said, no room, right? No, somebody just wrote that in some script at some point, and little boys in bathrobes and Christmas pageants have been using that line ever since. And I think the guy gets a bad rap. Now, when it comes to King Herod, that's where my grace is challenged. Let's take a little closer look at one of the characters in the Christmas story that gets, he gets ignored for a reason. His name, of course, is Herod the Great. Herod is a historical figure. He was the ruler of the Jewish people in the province of Judea at the time of the birth of Jesus. Here's an artist's rendering of Herod the Great. Any similarity to Santa Claus is purely coincidental. Just saying, okay? That's Herod the Great. The Bible mentions Herod in the introduction to the Christmas story, Luke chapter 1. We just run right over top of it, but this year, I got tripped up on this guy. The Bible says in the time of King Herod, king of Judea. So historically and biblically, this is what we know about Herod. And this is so unbelievably important because it helps us understand the greater plan of the incarnation of God. Big fancy theological term for God becoming human and wrapping himself in human flesh. So here's what we know about Herod. Herod built a kingdom to himself. 
Herod was a builder. If you ever come with me to Israel, some of the first stops we make are places that Herod actually built. We'll take you to a place called Caesarea. Let me show you some video from this. is one of the great amphitheaters of Caesarea. He basically built his own Colosseum. It was a seaport, and he would often invite foreign uh, flotillas or navies to come in there. And then he was such a master builder, he could drain the water so they couldn't leave. And then he would tax them in order to get what he wanted to, to fund his other projects. If you come with us to Israel, I'll take you to the Herodium, okay? He built this huge mountain out of dirt, which also means there's a big mountain that was built out of dirt. There's a big hole somewhere in Israel. We're not exactly sure where it is. And at the top of that great big pile of dirt, he made a fortress, and inside of that fortress was his palace. He was an unbelievable builder. But here was the deal. He was always building an empire to himself. He was the center of his own universe. He built idols to himself, and he did it on the back of the Jewish people. Herod had a reputation of being one of the most prolific tax collectors in all of the Roman Empire. You can tell a lot about a person about how, and how they act when they make it a law for the people that they're taxing in order to fund his building projects. You can tell a lot about a person when he makes a law to those people and says, you will refer to me as Herod the Great. Just a little full of yourself, right? History tells us that Herod was ascending through corruption and deal-making. He lived in a world between the Jewish Empire and the Roman Empire. He loved to wheel and deal, and he didn't care what kind of political game he had to play or who he had to kill in order to keep his power intact. Herod the Great was ruthless and bloodthirsty, and he was working his way up the Roman ladder of achievement. How he slept at night, I have absolutely no idea. Dia, because he sold his soul to the highest bidder. If you had enough money, you could put Herod the Great in your back pocket. What else do we know about Herod? Herod just wanted people to behave and do what they were told. I mean, just like us, Herod just wanted the world that orbited around him to actually behave. Some of you are dreading Christmas for one reason. Your in-laws are coming. They're going to be here within two weeks, and you're already, your angst is starting to build. Your pulse rate is going up. Some of you are dreading that because you just want them to behave. This is the year, right? No bad words, no throwing turkey, no arguments. Be happy with your gifts. That's what I want. I just want peace. I just want people to behave, and Herod wanted that just like we do. He wanted this little group of people in this province of Judea to behave. He wanted people to show up for Caesar's census. He wanted them to stand in line, be counted, and go away. And that's what some of you want with your mother-in-law. You want her to stand in line, be counted, and go away. That's what you're looking for. Herod wanted his perfect little world to operate exactly as it was designed to operate. He wanted to be king. He wanted order. He wanted people to worship him. He wanted to be a god. And then along comes Jesus and flips his world upside down. The Bible says, and we're going to jump a little ahead in the story to Matthew chapter 4. The Bible says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, so right in Herod's backyard, during the time of King Herod, there he is, magi, or wise men, from, came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? 
We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Some of you are already putting the pieces together, okay? So we all know this, right? The wise men were not at the manger. They actually showed up in Jerusalem a couple of years later. Okay, now don't freak out. You do not need to go home and pull the wise men out of your nativity scene, all right? Leave them alone. It looks good, okay? Just relax. But Herod is in Jerusalem, and he hears a rumor. And this is not good news when you believe you are Herod the great king of the Jews. Here's the rumor he hears. There's another king. There's another king. It's not good news for you when you think you're the sole solitary ruler and then you find out there's another one. So he freaks out. And this group of eastern astronomers, okay, very different than astrologers. If you read your Bible, God has no problem with astronomers, those who study the stars. He got a big problem with astrologers because they take people the wrong direction in a wrong pursuit of truth. But he shows up and they show up saying, where is the king of the Jews? Can you just imagine that conversation? They walk into Herod's throne room. The guy who says, I am the king of the Jews and you will call me Herod the Great. And they walk in and say, hey, we're looking for another king. And he's not you. So here it comes. In the middle of Herod's little kingdom, God announces, there's a change of plans. There's a change of plans. There's a new king and his name's not Herod. There's a Messiah. Everything that Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus was born is about to come into fruition. Emmanuel, God is with us, is actually happening right now. That's why we say Merry Christmas. I don't care if it's politically incorrect. If it's about Jesus, we will say it. Can I get an amen? Matthew chapter 4 says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. Let's just stop there for a second. That's like him saying, where is the Messiah going to be born in Washington State? He's going to be born in concrete. <laughs> or maybe Tacoma. It's like, rough area. Not exactly sure whether we should celebrate that or not. Here's what's interesting about Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Out of the house of bread, the bread of life would come to save us. Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. We learn a lot about Herod by his response to these words. Last week we talked about what do we learn about ourselves when we're standing in line. This week we're going to learn about how Herod lives when he gets placed under stress. I think we've got a few things we can learn here. So Herod finds out there's another king in his backyard. Doesn't really know that much about him, but he's looking. And in that moment, Herod is marked by suspicion, paranoia, frustration, and anger. Herod freaks out because someone is threatening his little kingdom. He panics. He gets paranoid. He gets frustrated because he doesn't like the answer to the question, where is this Messiah going to be born? He's going to get born in your backyard, Herod, on your watch. Another king is going to come and threaten your kingdom. And so he is unbelievably angry. So because people don't change that much, Herod does what he always does, did under pressure. He starts making deals. 
Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi, another name for the three wise men, or the number of wise men, however many there were, called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. I'm going to make you a deal. You go find him and then bring word to me and we'll come and worship. Yeah, that's the ticket. I'm glad there's a new king. I'm going to throw a party. I want to come and worship him too. Yeah, you go find him and let me know and I'll grab my guitar and we'll go and sing the little guy a few bars. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. It's going to be awesome. Herod wanted to worship on his own terms. He was saying to the wise men, I want to come and worship the Messiah, all right? I'm going to worship that little guy right back where he came from. Because there's only room in Judah for one king, not two. The story is famous, isn't it? The wise men seek out the king, and they bring him gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, a gift befitting earthly royalty. Frankincense, a gift befitting heavenly royalty. And then an ironic gift that doesn't make a lot of sense. Myrrh, a burial spice. A spice that was used to wrap around a dead body to help preserve it. Why in the world would you bring the equivalent of a casket to a baby's birthday party? Well, you'd only do that if you knew why he came. A reminder for all of us that Jesus came to give his life away. Then the Bible says, being warned in a dream by an angel, they went home another way. Why? To avoid Herod, the villain of the Christmas story. The Bible says this, Matthew chapter 4, when Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. This is the ugly part of the Christmas story. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is the part of the Christmas story we don't like talking about. We love the angels and the shepherds. We love the manger and the three kings. We, we love, well, we'll even stick a little drummer boy in there to make us a little bit happier. I mean, we'll even take the innkeeper, even though he seems to have an unbelievably bad attitude. We will take all of that and wrap it into Christmas and make it so beautiful. What we don't want to talk about at Christmas is mass infanticide. Nobody likes to talk about babies being killed. Here's the heart-wrenching lesson. Herod's drive to be recognized as king drove him to murder and destruction, to destroy. In an attempt to elevate himself, Herod shredded families and spilled innocent blood to get what he wanted. He is an easy villain to despise. And this is where it gets really, really tough. Some of you are sitting there, I can see by the looks on your faces, you're like, where in the world are you going with this? This is not cool. Like, I came to church, it's Christmas time, I want to sing happy songs, I want the lights, I mean, I want, yeah, I like the red and the trees, like, come on, Grant, what are you talking about mass infanticide for? Stick with me. 
little while back, I introduced to you two great big theological terms. Some of you will remember them. Narcissistic eisegesis. There you go. Don't say you never learned anything in church, okay? Narcissistic eisegesis is when I read a Bible story and I instantly think I've got to be the hero in the story. That's what I'm supposed to learn, okay? I find myself as the hero in every biblical story. So I read the story of David and Goliath, and narcissistic eisegesis says, I'm David. I take on giants. I win unbelievable victories. I'm the first one to volunteer to go out and pick a fight with a giant, and all I need is a slingshot and five rocks. I must be David. When I read about Elijah on Mount Carmel, I'm the hero. I show up and I take on 400 prophets of Baal and I pray to Jesus and he does Texas barbecue and it is awesome. I win every single time. That's what narcissistic eisegesis. And when I read the wise men in Herod, I come to one single conclusion. I'm a wise man. That's me. I bring good gifts to Jesus. I will follow a star across multiple continents in order to get where God wants me to go. That is exactly who I am. I'm one of the good guys. If I'm honest, I'm not David. I'm one of the freaked out Israelites that's just really, really happy that somebody else was dumb enough to go and pick a fight with a giant. I'm one of the scared Israelites standing on the side. I'm not going to go fight him. You go fight him. No, that little kid's going to go fight him. Great. Off you go. Here. Borrow my slingshot. I'm not Elijah on his best day on the top of Mount Carmel. I'm Elijah on his worst day. 24 hours after God triumphs over the 400 prophets of Baal, Elijah's running for his life from a crazy queen saying, God, kill me now. That sounds more like my Monday than the victory on the top of the mountain. And the reality is, I'm not a wise person who follows a star at all costs. In fact, if I'm going to have a really, really honest moment, some of us, we are not going to like this. Stick with me. But if I have a really, really honest moment of eisegesis, I read the Christmas story, and I don't like it, but I have to admit that this is true. I'm Herod. Some of you are like, I'm going to write that down, because I don't know when not, I have no idea what to do with that. I'm Herod. You don't believe me? Let's have a moment of honesty. I spend copious amounts of my life making sure that my kingdom is intact and secure. I focus on my comfort, my safety, my security. I want everything to revolve around me, and I just want everything to go exactly the way that I planned it. I build idols to my own greatness by making everybody believe that I am something that I am not. And I just want people around me to recognize my greatness, get with my program, and make my life just a little bit easier. I want the people in my world to behave. I want them to act exactly the way I want them to act. I am marked by suspicion, paranoia, frustration, and anger. I mean, I think everybody is always out to get a little piece of my kingdom. I'm paranoid. There's somebody in the room right now competing to get my spot. And I can be having an unbelievably great day, moving in the right direction. Everything is wonderful and perfect in my world until my remote doesn't work. And my remote doesn't work and everything in my world just explodes. Or if I have to stand in line, I have to go buy light bulbs at Walmart after the last service today. I am living in fear. 
of what's going to happen. I mean, I'm preaching this morning about this. I know what's going to happen. And the lines are going to be long. And people are going to say things to me. And I'm an introvert. I'm like, just like, I used up all my words in church. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone with my light bulbs. And for the love of God, let me be in the fastest moving line at Walmart. I get angry at the state of the world and the state of the church. And all of this seems to culminate in the days between Thanksgiving and Christmas, which we know ironically as the most wonderful time of the year. Nod your head if you're tracking with me. There you go. I want to worship on my own terms. I want to worship when it doesn't conflict with something in my schedule that I would rather do. I want to worship, but as long as it's not an inconvenience. And the reality is, I don't think I've ever murdered anybody to get what I want, but if I am honest, I think of how close I've come on numerous occasions to destroying my family because they didn't want to participate in the little shrine I was building to me. Now I know that because of the holiness of the 930 service at Christ the King Church, none of you can possibly relate to any of this. I understand. But I'm wondering whether or not we can't all admit or have the courage to admit that just in one small way, shape, or form, that we're a little bit like Herod. Now before you freak out, can I give you some good news? <laughs> That was good. Somebody said, please. That's good. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. Here's the good news. Jesus came to save Herods. All of them. Before you freak out, Jesus came to earth for all of the Herods too. So let me introduce you to the hero of the Christmas story. We're going to do a little compare and contrast. Herod the Great versus Jesus the Christ. And maybe this will move us in the right direction. The Christmas story is really a tale of two kings. And I want you to know the contrast and notice them as we walk through this together. Herod the Great and Jesus the Christ. While Herod built a kingdom to his own glory, Jesus built a kingdom for the glory of God. The Bible tells us Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus left, and Jesus is coming again. Also that his father would get glory so that we could know God, so that we could actually be forgiven by God. While Herod was ascending through corruption and deal making, Jesus was descending from heaven into the world that he created. He steps down out of heaven, himself in human flesh. The Bible said the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us for the while and we have seen his glory. When Jesus came, Emmanuel lived up to his name and literally walked amongst us just for a little while. He embodied God is with us. I mean, just think about this fact. The creator walked amongst the created and there's this beautiful moment in scripture when Jesus says that he shows the greatest extent of his love and he literally disrobes and wraps himself in a towel and takes the role of the lowest human servant in an Israeli home. And he washes the feet of his disciples. I mean, just think about that for a second. The creator washing between the toes of the created. Taking this low, humble form. 
It's a beautiful picture of God stepping down into heaven while Herod is exhausting himself trying to crawl up the corporate ladder. Jesus is stepping down the steps of heaven, coming, looking, pursuing you and me at Christmas time. While Herod wants to sh- people just to show up and behave, King Jesus wants people to be transformed and truly live. The Bible says Jesus came that you would have life and have it to the full. Jesus knows there's so much more to your life than a paycheck and a big screen TV. He actually wants you to have a life worth living. He wants you to have forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. Jesus wants to step into the center of your life and say, I know the direction that you're going, but guess what? Change of plans. We're going in a different direction. You were going in the direction of hell because you didn't have a relationship with me. Now, because there's a change of plans, because there's a new king in town, we're going in the direction of eternity. You've lived your life for yourself long enough. You've come up empty. You did it this way. You're completely lonely. You wrote your own story, and the reality is the story's not very good. But because of a change of plans, instead of living for you and the temporary, now you're going to have an opportunity to live for Jesus and the eternal. That's Christmas. While Herod was marked by frustration and anger, Jesus was marked by humility, mercy, grace, and generosity. Jesus became human. He kept all of his deity, that which made him God, but he became human so that he could understand. He gets it. Jesus understands abandonment. Jesus understands exhaustion. Jesus understands pressure and stress. He gets it. He wrapped himself humbly. Extended mercy. I mean, how many times did he forgive Peter? How many times has he forgiven Greg? I've lost track. And instead of giving me what I deserve, he instead gives me exactly the opposite of what I deserve. And he gives me grace. And then he asks me to be one of those people that goes against the flow of worldly culture that always seems to be about just accumulating a little bit more stuff that I really don't need. And instead, to exhaust myself in this beautiful world of generosity. You know, I never get tired of talking about that because Jesus is the perfect example. Jesus gave all, everything, his very life on a cross so that we could embrace the real meaning of Christmas. While King Herod is wanting to worship on his terms, Jesus is desiring worship that's pure and passionate and holy. He wants us as his people to worship as a matter of priority and devotion. He wants us to put him first, not because it's good for him, but because it makes a better life for us. Finally, Herod's drive drove him to murder and destroy. Jesus' drive to be recognized as king also drove him. But it drove him to sacrifice himself. I'm always amazed at Christmas that the love of God can be so unbelievably personal. He came for me. He came for you. He came for you. And if you would have been the only human being on the planet, he would have come anyway. That's the beauty of 
of the incarnation of God. I mean, to coin an old phrase without making it cheesy, if you need to know the reason why Jesus came, you were the reason. I was the reason. So Christ the King, get to make a decision this morning. Herod the Great or Jesus the Christ, you pick. Which king would you choose to love? Which king would you choose to serve? I got a question for you. Um, does anybody know any rousing worship courses devoted to the memory of King Herod? Anybody? You got one just on, you know, on the tip of your tongue? You're just like, yeah, absolutely. I, I, know, I, know a, I know a worship song about King Herod. Here's the deal. No one sings songs to King Herod. In fact, I'll tell you something. If you ever come with me to Israel, and I really hope that you do, you're going to notice something about all of Herod's building projects. They're rubble. Big piles of rocks. And we're going to go walk through them because historically, it's an amazing thing to wrap your head around. And it is somewhat impressive to see what he did. But this is the amazing thing about every single one of them. Not a single one of them is still completely standing. They're just slowly crumbling in time. It has been absolutely devastated. But that's his memory. That's all that's left of him. So there's no songs and his kingdom is rubble. Got a question for you. Uh, you guys were singing earlier. I swore I could hear you. I was like standing right back there. You were singing worship songs to someone. Anybody think of a worship song to King Jesus off the top of your head? Isn't that amazing? You're just like, well, where's the kingdom of Jesus today? In a podunk town called Bellingham, Washington. That's where the kingdom of Jesus is 2,000 years later. It's still living on in the form of us. We are his kingdom. We are his legacy. And some of us may still be in ruins, but God's in the business of rebuilding every single day. Can I get an amen to that? He's rebuilding and putting us back together. I look at this story, this tale of two kings. I look at Herod the Great and I contrast him to Jesus the Christ. And this is the reason why I am actually shedding my skin as a former Christmas Grinch and fully entering into, in my family, the Christmas elf understanding of how we go about this beautiful time of year. If somebody wants to know why I have such a huge smile on my face during the season of Christmas, it's because of one reason. I got a better king. I have a better king. A king who is not about building his own kingdom for his own glory, but instead opened the doors of his family and adopted me in and allowed me to know that I'm a part, a specially adopted part of his kingdom. So I have a question for you. On this day in December, while you're building the kingdom of your life, are you open to a better plan? Are you open to a change of plan? Because the reality is God wants you to live your life his way. And I know, I know, so many of us. I, but Grant, I got it all planned out. I'm going to check these boxes. I'm going to work through this calendar. This is exactly the direction that I'm going. This is the purpose. I've got it all figured out. Can I tell you something, Herod? Jesus is in your backyard. 
the Messiah has come. He has a way that he wants you to live your life. I know you got it all planned out. Here's my question. Are you open to a change of plans? Because Jesus says, the only way to get to my Father is through me. And the way you do that is by following the plan of God, not the plan of man. I lived for way too many years trying to get Grant the king to the top of the mountain. I would not exchange my old life for my new life for a single millisecond. Because the day Jesus took over the throne of my life, it hasn't all been roses and perfection, but it's been denoted by this beautiful thing called peace. This beautiful thing called joy. So last weekend, I challenged you, because some of you are already looking at your clock and tapping your foot. It was so much fun watching you guys squirm last week. They're just like, like there's another game. <laughs> Baltimore, <laughs> third string quarterback. This is going to be awesome. I'd like to borrow another 300 seconds. I'm going to ask the band if they'll come back and join me. I'd like to borrow 300 seconds of your life. Last week, we took a moment just to think and reflect and enter into peace. This week, I'd like to borrow 300 seconds and have you step into joy. The joy of being able to ally yourself with other followers of Jesus this morning and just be able to say out loud, I have a better king. And my king conquers my heart when I stand in line at Walmart. My king conquers my heart when I choose to give instead of receive. My king conquers my heart, and in doing so, I step out of building my kingdom, and I enter fully into his kingdom. And my life's different because of that. Instead of frowning and getting angry this time of year, I get to experience unbelievable, unbridled joy. So Christ the King, for 300 seconds, would you stand to your feet and let's worship the King of Kings with a heart filled of joy because of one single solitary truth. We have a better King. God bless you. Merry Christmas.